this part of the brain is damaged, what happens to the patient? And I remember being in that lab as a second year, holding your brain and realizing, I've literally got someone's entire existence in the palm of my hands. Yeah. Like, we live? Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Yeah. Because everything I've ever wanted is within my reach. But I've got to be impeccable whenever I speak. I think. Welcome Thanks. to Moral of the Story. Thanks for joining us. Thanks um, for having me. No. Uh, part of the reason why we wanted to get you on, we know you have an interesting path to a PhD and the work that you're involved in. Um, we thought it was really interesting to have a conversation about it. We also want to understand a bit of your background um, and really just unpack that path, the journey you've been on, because I think there's going to be lessons that we can pull out. Yeah. Um, I think you can relate to a lot of people. Um, so to kick things off, where, can you briefly explain to everyone at home listening, what sort of work are you involved in? Yep. And um, yeah, how long did it take for you to get there? Cool, so I'm pretty much a medical scientist. I work with genetic eye diseases. So my official title at work is postdoctoral research associate. Yeah. Just a fancy way of saying that. And what I do is that a lot of the, all the patients I work with have genetic mutations that cause them to go blind. And I get a skin biopsy from them and turn them into stem cells. So for those who are unfamiliar with what they are, stem cells are pretty much an unspecialized type of cell. So to put it simply, when you were an embryo, before you became anything, you were a bunch of stem cells that later on developed into your skin, yep. your bones, your brain and whatnot. So what I can do is I can get these the skin cells, take them to the lab, turn them into stem cells, and then from there I can turn them into retinal cells. Mm -hmm. So the retina is the photosensitive layer in the back of the eye, which receives light and then sends the electrical signals up to the brain for processing. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is because the cells come straight from the patient, whatever the mutations the patients have, the cells also have, mm -hmm. meaning I have a one-to-one -one replica of the patient pretty much in a Petri dish. Mm -hmm. And using that, I can try to figure out what causes the disease and then once I do that, I can start looking at various drug treatments. And so specifically the disease I work with is called retinitis pigmentosa. Mm -hmm. It's quite common. It actually affects about one in 3,000 people worldwide. So wow. it's, not, it's not uncommon. Mm. And the disease initially starts off with a loss of night vision. So patients will start to find it difficult to see in dim light conditions. Yep. And for that reason, it often goes undiagnosed initially. Mm. And then it pro progressively degenerates into a constriction of the visual field. So they'll start tunnel visioning until they go fully legally blind and that happens over several decades with the disease often starting in early to late teens and so it's a pretty terrifying diagnosis to get yeah. as like a 14 year old kid being told yeah, or the yeah. parents will be told that in the next 40 50 years you're going to be fully blind yeah um unfortunately there's no cure or treatment for any of these diseases right um partly because for rp alone there's over 90 different genes associated with it. Mm. And within those 90 genes, there's hundreds of different mutations that cause it. Right. And they're all working in a different mechanism, which means like one specific therapy just isn't possible. Right. So I also work with CRISPR, Cas9. That's another one that's being thrown around in the media quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah. Is so, there a brief summary you can give people about yeah. CRISPR? So Cas9 is pretty much a molecular pair of scissors. So theoretically, um, in a simpler situation, if you have a mutation in this specific gene, it's supposed to be an A, but it's mutated to a T, okay. and that's what's causing the disease, then I can guide Cas9 to cut the T out and replace it with an A. Ah. And so hypothetically, the disease cured. 
in practice, it's really not that simple. Right. But that's kind of what it's doing. So it is a major breakthrough. It did win the Nobel Prize recently. Yeah. Um, but it's, there's a lot of work in progress for that as well. Yeah. I kind of want to bookmark the area of your work yeah. to come back to because I think there's a lot we can get into yeah. there. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. But I just want to quickly go to your background yeah. and realize how did you get along? What made you want to get into this field of work yeah. and study of work? And is it something you found quite easily or? Nah, man. Like, so to give you the full story, I think I need to take you back to high school. Mm. Um, probably there's a lot of the audience might relate to this period where it is quite difficult at the time. Like mm. being at the time, it was 17 for us and 18 for kids now. Yeah. But like I said earlier, like one day you're asking for for permission to use the bathroom and then the next they're like <laughs> yeah we're talking about like, this yeah yeah just like figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life so it's a terrifying and daunting task really and at the time ironically i actually absolutely hated science like despised it so much mm. and part of it is partly due to personality traits where if i'm not genuinely interested in something i can't touch it yeah. right it's the same for people in relationships work and all that so um, You've got to be fully invested in yeah, something I before do. you can and dive into yeah, it. And, and the very few people who I'm fully invested in will feel that sense of effort from me. Right. And for that reason, I was always a terrible student because mm. a good student is able to pick up a textbook and study regardless of whether they enjoy it or not. Mm. Unless I have a genuine sense of fulfillment from it, like I just I can't force myself to do, yeah. do stuff. I would, I would yeah. say I'm a lot like that. Yeah. Like I, me too. If I am not connected to say like a deeper purpose yeah. – or something that I'm genuinely interested in, yeah. I find it hard to yeah. stay involved or stay connected to it. Yeah. And at the high school level, with all due respect to the curriculum, like the periodic table was boring as fuck. Man. Like, <laughs> like valence electrons and the minute they introduced geometry into chem, like why the fuck are there pentagons in my chemistry? Like, <laughs> His brother like, would be getting uh, offended right now. Yeah, <laughs> but like... He's a chemical engineer. That's oh, right. <laughs> but that and then calculating like centripetal force and physics, like none of it was interesting enough for me yeah and so i had this very different perception of what science was at the time and being 17 i literally had no idea what i wanted to do in my life and that's a recurring theme amongst a lot of people that yeah. age right yeah you have like next to no life experience and so the only thing i knew about myself was that i loved football so i grew up playing soccer yeah. and obviously wasn't good enough to make a playing career out of it but i thought there are obviously jobs within the sport right mm. And flicking on a TV, you see a medical team within the teams, right? Yeah. And I thought, hold on, now that could be something. I could be a team doctor in an NBA team. I could be yeah. one in, in the Premier League or something. And so I ended up going to a UWA Open Day mm. and they have like a store for each course they offer, right? And I found these two right next to each other. One was zoology and the other was neuroscience because mm. zoology being the study of animals and neuroscience is the study of the brain. Mm. And the way they spoke to me made me wonder, maybe science is bigger than what I thought it was. Mm. Now, maybe there's a whole different dimension of this field that I had no idea existed. And they actually told me that I could combine the two and do it together. And so an example would be studying how sharks use electromagnetic waves to find their way around. That's combining mm. zoology and neuroscience. Yep. And still to this day, like, animals is something that I've been fascinated with. And as a kid, like Crocodile Hunter was my favorite show. And yeah. When Steve Irwin died, I was like devastated. Like never seen Stingrays the same since. Like, um, but so I thought, you know what, let's do this. So I signed up for a major in zoology and a minor in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. That's three degree. Zoology just 
ended up not being it for me. Yeah? So, yeah. So Even though you had that interest yeah, in... Yeah, I think um, looking back in hindsight, um, I can probably see myself working in stuff like marine biology and stuff. Mm. But the way that course was designed, it just wasn't for me. Right. And so I actually went two and a half years before I dropped out. So it was a semester away from graduating when I said, no, nah, I can't do this. Really? Yeah. So I took it to as, as far as I possibly could. I think the reason is probably the same reason why so many people are stuck in unhappy or I think Ruben made a good point. Unhappy is probably the wrong word. Mm. If you go back to his episode, he says like unfulfilled and unsatisfied is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, so many people are stuck in those positions, whether that be relationships, marriages, jobs, careers, life plans. And because we all think, oh, there's ups and downs to this. Maybe yeah. it gets better. Yeah. But you have to understand that there's a very definitive difference between doubt which is natural mm. and you can have doubt in every aspect of your life regardless of what it is versus a knowing and a sense of knowing is so strong and deep rooted that you just can't ignore it. Mm. And I think with the zoology course, probably first semester of second year, I knew at that point that this wasn't right for me, but I just thought let's, let's just push on a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was that, so that's what you were talking about there, doubt and unknowing. Yeah. So was that, that was the doubt. I thought it was doubt. It's just the unknown. I look back in hindsight and I think I knew by, by then that right, right, this right. was not it. Um, the opposite is also true. When you know something's right for you, it's, just, it's unmistakable. Yeah. It's like you just know, regardless of setbacks and failures, no matter how difficult it is, when you know, it's like, I just know that if I just stick to my craft and stay true to my path, yeah. like this is, this is it for me. Yeah. Right. And so... The final straw of zoology was actually a funny story. They took us on a four-day field trip up to Lake Mongo, yeah. like five hours long, gave us a pair of binoculars each and were like, count every single bird that you see on this lake. <laughs> Draw up an Excel spreadsheet with like every species you see and how many, do, how many um, you count and do a statistical analysis on it. And I was like, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, absolutely not. Like, I ain't doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, bro, there were like 20 different types of duck out there. Like... That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That just broke it for me. And like, Mm. the only ducks I'm interested in are the ones hanging from a hook at a Chinese (laughs) restaurant. Like, if it's not served to me on a bed of rice with crispy skin, like, you can miss me with that shit. Yeah. And, um, but just because I didn't enjoy it doesn't mean everyone else didn't. Like, everyone loved it, man. They were like, oh, bro, like, what is that? And I'm just like, that's a Pidgey. That's a fucking Pokemon. Like, that's not a bird, bro. Like, and, um, I remember just being there thinking like, I can't do this. Yeah. So that was the light. That was like, the, the light switch that yeah, went it just, on. It did it for me. I was like, no. Yep. Yep. Um, the other thing was, it might sound a bit corny, but um, I had no friends in that course, two and a half years in. Like I could not hold a human level conversation with anyone. Right. And that's with no disrespect to them. Yeah. But there was a point where I thought, if this is the field that I'm going to be working with in, and these are the people that I'm going to be spending the majority of my professional life with, and I can't connect with them on a human level, then this is a bit of a problem, yeah. right? That would lead to a deep unsatisfaction in your workplace yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for those reasons combined, I dropped it. Um, neuroscience, however, was polarizingly different. Mm. So that's when I changed to a full neuroscience major, which meant I had to catch up in a few units, do a few extra years, but it was what I wanted to do. So in second year, first semester, there was a unit where once a week you go into a lab, and there's actual human brains laid out everywhere. Actually. And an exam question would be, there's a pin stuck to one place and they'll ask, if this part of the brain is damaged, what happens to the patient? And I remember being in that lab as 
a second year holding your brain and realizing I've literally got someone's entire existence in the palm of my hands. Yeah. Like their wants, their needs, their likes, their dislikes, their memories, emotions. Like everything about this human being mm. is literally sitting in the palm of my hands and that absolutely blew my mind. Mm. And that's kind of, I think that was the turning point of me starting to understand like science can be cool. Right? There's something fascinating about science that yeah. I thought so differently about two years ago. Bro, I, um, I'm not a big science guy. Yeah. But you just explaining that class, yeah. I'm like, man, get me in there. <laughs> <laughs> get me in there. I want to yeah. hear um, about that. I want to hold someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the class was actually, um, the unit was run quite poorly. I'm not going to lie. Okay. Um, but it was but a step up or was, a step in the right direction yeah, from was, where you just yeah, came from. It definitely gave me a sense of direction. But how, how long between, say, that, um, that time at Lake Munger yeah. to this brain exercise? The brain thing was before Lake Munger. Oh, yeah, okay. So I was doing this two units, to two courses together. Ah, uh, right. And so the neuroscience was in, the brain thing happened in first semester of second year. Okay. The late manga happened first semester of third year. Yeah. So those two examples just gave you that more, gave you more clarity yeah, in what direction did. you wanted and, to go. Um, I don't consider the late manga thing as a bad experience or the whole zoology course um, in that case, because I figured out what I don't like and what's mm. not right for me. Mm. And a lot of people under, overlook that. Because mm. figuring out what's not right for you and what you don't like is actually a great thing. Is almost more important than knowing what you do like. Yeah, I agree. Right? And so it's not a bad experience for that reason. I managed to learn something about myself in that process. But with neuroscience, I enjoyed the rest of the unit, the course, so much that I decided to continue doing masters mm. in neuro as well. Um, that, if anything, cemented the fact that I wanted to have a career in this field. And by that time, I established, all right, I'll finish my master's and then go to medical school mm -hmm. and train to be a neurosurgeon. That was my big plan. Um, as part of master's, I had a chance of doing a research project. So you do full-time research for a year and you write up a thesis. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Thesis being like a, a big-ass lab report. So yep. for master's, it was like a 10,000-word um, word limit. Um, but it's one of those things where the uni doesn't send you somewhere. You have to find your own project. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed literally every neuro lab I could find around UWA. So I contacted stroke, muscular dystrophy, schizophrenia, dementia, mm -hmm. like every lab. And at the time, they all struggled to receive funding. Okay. And so with no money, you can't do research. And they couldn't afford to take another person in. Right. So I, at that point, that was probably one of the more difficult positions I, I found myself in mm. because... In my mind, I finally figured out what I wanted to do, but all those opportunities were, were closed. And so I went to my unit coordinator who I had a really good relationship with. He was in spinal cord repair. Mm. And I asked him like, look, I don't care what it is. Can you just please give me something? I want to try research. This is an opportunity I would love to take. And he told me, I have something I'd rather not give it to you just because it's not something that's substantial enough for me to want to want you to invest into. But hold tight, like I'll make some phone calls. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll find you a place. And he referred me to Lions Eye Institute, which is where I'm still at now. Okay. At the time, I was a bit skeptical. I'm not going to lie, because the eye didn't seem as interesting as the brain. Mm -hmm. But it was a position where I really had no choice. And so I went in, and within two months, I was hooked. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, it was one of those things where uh, rejection became a redirection in life. Yeah. And it was, like it's one of those... Like weird moments in life where like you want A, but life is like, nah, like take, take this instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so I went in, not only did I enjoy the field of ophthalmology, but research was something new to me as well. Yeah. Because up until then, everything I was learning through school and uni were already established pieces of information. Right. But for the first time, I found myself in a position where I was creating new information. Mm. Like I was diving into the unknown and finding new things that no one else knew. Mm. And that's so, the exciting part yeah, about that science, is it. right? Like, there's been, that's, that's a real nugget yeah, there. That's, there's literally been moments in my work where I've got a result from an experiment and I sit there thinking, I'm literally the only person in the world that knows this piece of information. Right. And that's just one of the most incredible feelings you can get as a researcher. Yeah. And so having said that, it was the first time where work didn't feel like work to me. Like going into the lab and doing these experiments and all, it just felt like I was ha having fun. Yeah. And then came that difficult decision of this year's ending. Do I scrap it and go to medical school or do I invest in what I've just found to be of such great fascination and enjoyment to my life? And go all in on yeah. that. Mm. And so I decided, I actually made the call three months into that project mm. to put med school on the side. I'll do it after. Um, and I would like to do a, a PhD instead. Mm. Can so I, I ask quickly, what, what was the, the moment that kind of made you make that decision? Because I, I feel like that's quite a pivotal yeah, moment. It wasn't a specific individual moment. I think over the period of a month or two, okay. I just found myself excited to go into work. Right. It was, and that, that just excitement kind of gave you a, an easier way to yeah, make a decision yeah. on what you... So, as much as coming out of school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. The one thing I was very sure about is that I didn't want a job that was just work. Mm. I didn't want to wake up in the morning thinking, fuck, I've got to go to work today. Oh, it's should Monday. I, ah. Yeah. Do I have to, should I call in sick? Can't wait like, for Friday. Yeah. I did, like <laughs> that's the one thing I was very sure about at the time yeah. coming out of high school. And this ticked that box. Yeah. Like I loved my work. I was coming in and I was like pipetting things and like growing cells in an incubator and all that. Yeah, right. And yeah, so I decided, I went to my supervisor, um, still is my boss, but went to him and said, look, I'm thinking of doing a, extending this into a PhD. And I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And I was like, damn, like that easy? Like that's yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so we ended up redesigning that one year project and making it larger scale so that I could continue for the next three, four years, yeah. whatever that may be. Um, finished that, went into my PhD. So mm -hmm. PhD is a bit different. Um, other, u other university courses have a set defined timeline. Mm -hmm. um, with a PhD, you have a minimum of three years, but most people take four to four and a half. Um, so I did that, continued on with the same work and finished that at the like early last year. So that ended up being a total of 10 years. Mm. Um, and now I'm just working full time as a research associate. In mm. ten years, man, that's a it's a lot. It is a long lot. grind. And um, I think if anything that I've realised now is we underestimate, we overestimate what we can achieve in this space, like two three months. Yeah. Well, we completely underestimate what's possible in five to ten years. Yeah. Right. And this quantum leap in progress that I had so dearly craved coming out of school, and I almost expected had manifested itself over a 10-year period without me even realising it happened. Right, right. It's not until I look back on what's past that I realise, oh, I'm not actually doing that bad. Because yeah. I'm very guilty of being my own biggest critic mm. and I'm always pushing, like, what's the next step, what's the next step? And with that, I do rob myself of my own blessings sometimes. Right. But when I do look back in hindsight, it's like, 
there's not much more I could have done in 10 years. Mm. Right? So True, man. And yeah. life goes by in instant. It was like so cliche, but that flew by. Yeah. Like, yeah. I literally feel like a 14 year old. Like, I thought, I think that was like two days ago, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, well. And so, yeah, that 10 year period, I, get, I think a, a key question is because I, I know a lot of people have questions. I just know from experience, personal experience, talking to a lot of people, they always jump around, especially when they go to uni, about what they really want to do. And you touched on a few, like, interesting parts, but what would you tell someone, you know, thinking about going into a journey that's 10 years? Because I reckon life is sometimes could be like you could be going like yeah, flat yeah. you could be flatlining for 10 years yeah. and then the 11th year is actually it's the year that just goes yeah. that skyrockets yeah. it's a bit like the stock market yeah, sometimes yeah. you know you just stay investing and then yeah. at some moment it's just going to skyrocket yeah. so knowing that and being in your position what would you tell someone that's contemplating getting into that grind is there a is there a silver lining for you I think you do need to have a level of commitment to what you are doing. Mm. Part of the reason why I stuck with zoology for so long is that I just wanted to make sure that this wasn't right for me. It's easy to go one year into a course and do one year and be like, no, that's not right. And then go to another and jump like every one to one and a half years. But you don't get the full picture of what that Mm. field really is like. Mm. So as much as you do need to try and experience different parts and figure out what's right for you and what's not right for you, you do need a level of commitment with it as well. Yeah. You can't just go into a half-assed thinking like, oh, I'll just give it a go and then six months later it's not for me. Because I know so many people that have gone and done uni courses for like six months to a year and they're and like, I mean, oh, like, it's, nah. not, it's not for me. Okay. But like... Um, uni course is... Sorry, uni course is one thing. But actually the workplace yeah. is actually a completely yeah. other thing. So with medical science yeah. is that the similar thing like the uni courses that you go through and ticking the boxes there to when you're actually in the workplace yeah. are they two different experiences they're or completely different yeah right. com- and i do find now in a position where i'm supervising students as well that the highly academic students don't necessarily make the best workers mm. like grades are by no means an accurate indicator of how well you're going to work in a professional work environment i've had students come in they've had incredible transcripts but they're 40 minutes late to everything. Like, I don't care how smart you are. If you can't keep your time and mm. your time management shit, like, I'm not interested in having you in my workplace. Like, yeah. I don't want you in my team. Yeah. There's students who come in and they... I mean, it is a big jump. Like, mm. granted, it is going from uni to work is, is huge. It's mm. like you don't have a period of adjustment. You just kind of get forced into it, yeah. right? Yeah. But there's little things like how you dress when you come into work, how you hold yourself, like time management, how you speak to people, um, the language you use when you're around work. And it's, there's an adaptation period where I'm thinking like, okay, like I'll give you time to adapt, but after a certain point is you should have, you should know better by now. Right. Um, But that jump, a lot of students who struggle are ones that haven't worked yeah. previously yeah so i haven't done the shit kicker jobs of you know like i've worked in hospitality for years um you've we've all been yelled at for mm. something that was not remotely our fault but apparently it is yeah and um 
or something very, very minute. Yeah, or, or like someone clicking their fingers at you mm-hmm. and like, yeah, 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 just petty shit that you just learn to deal with. Yeah. But when you, you're in your mid-20s and you're going to a workforce and that's the first time you're experiencing someone arc up at you or things not going your way and you, have, you don't have the skill set at that point, it's, mm. almost, like, it's almost too late. Mm. Now, that skill set should have been developed as, as a teenager when you're in your early 20s when you're, I don't know, working in, at KFC on the yeah. night shift or, or working in retail and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so you experience a lot of guys that, or, or students that don't really get that teenage experience where they are working. Yeah. They, it's just that, and just a complete... Yeah leap from like this student thing, yeah. to workplace yeah. and then there's yet that interpersonal gap yeah they don't know how to be human right, right. Like they're bots yeah and i get that well because i teach high school students as well as yeah. part of like a, a side job and some of these are like incredibly gifted like academically just so smart mm. but they can't hold a conversation with you mm. or there was, there's a funny instance where I was teaching a class and obviously in a lab you wear gloves and this kid came up to me and was like, sir, there's one glove left in the box. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like I gave him a new box. It's like, here you go. And he went through that one glove in the bin. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, it's one glove. And I'm just looking at him like, yeah, put it on. Here's another box. And he goes... Yeah, but it's only one glove. I can't work with one glove. I'm like, you daft cunt. Like, put it on. <laughs> like, yeah, what's, yeah, like, yeah. but this guy was honestly one of like the top three academic high achievers I've ever seen in my life. Right. But he couldn't put his, wrap his head around the fact that you can grab one glove, one glove from one from box there. and another glove from another. Yeah, wow. Um, there's things like that and it's just, it's absurd. Yeah. So what, what do you say to these guys? Um, is is that the lesson for them? Like so the, is for people listening, is it go and get some real world experience? Yeah, I think so. I think um, a lot of it is, it's not about making money and having money to spend. It's mm. just, there's so much skills to be learned from working in a bar, having interpersonal skills, mm. dealing with setbacks. And it's just for me, as much as at the time I hated that job, I look back and I realize I did so much of my growth mm. in that period. Like the Hyatt did so much, much for me. And like granted that chapter of my life is, is past and I would never go back, mm. but there was such a nugget and a silver lining to, to those experiences. Yeah. And I think that could help with your research work. Yeah, it like, does, yeah. Just being able to collaborate with other people yeah. too. You know, having more brains is more powerful yeah. than just one. Yeah. And especially in your field. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I always tell my brother the same thing. Like he's, he's doing uh, uh, chemical engineering. Yeah. And I was like, man, just go get an internship because yeah. you won't know. So he's in his yeah. second year. I was like, man, do whatever you can to go yeah. get an internship. Yeah. Is this Curtin or UW? Uh, he's at Curtin. So that's a four-year course there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's in his second year and a lot of his uh, peers haven't gotten yeah. that real-world experience. He's gotten liked it. Yeah. So I feel like that's just only going to propel him more because he's got that experience. He's pretty switched yeah. on academically. Yeah. And now you're seen in a different light, especially when you're going for yeah. a job. See, like there's a very big difference between learning things out of a textbook and then going out and experiencing real yeah. life. And for that reason, like a lot of people that go through the medical field as doctors, 
um, with med school alone, by second or thirty, there's like a forty percent dropout rate. Yeah. Because people just can't handle this, the stress of what it is. And right. We over-romanticize and glorify what it's like to work as a doctor, right? But the reality is, like, so for retinitis pigmentosa that I work with, it's not a Wikipedia page. It's a human being in front of me who's got emotions and mm. wants and needs as well. Like, it's yeah. very easy to forget that when you're only learning something out of a textbook. Mm. And I only had that experience in my master's when... I did a case study with multiple sclerosis patients. And right at the time, I was just learning about the disease, like what are the symptoms, like how does it manifest, is it, like how does it work and all that. And then I had a patient in front of me and I had to do a case study with him, a group of patients actually. And I asked like, what's the most difficult thing living with MS? And in my mind, as like, I think it was like 21 or something, 21 year old, I was thinking like, oh, I have no independence, I can't move. Oh, so multiple sclerosis, like they start losing voluntary movement. Mm -hmm. So they, um, lose mobility pretty much yeah. and I thought that would be their hardest thing but every single one of them without fail said I'm lonely yeah right like I've got no one around me yeah. like and I was like damn yeah. like, I'm talking to a, like as daft as it sounds like, I was talking to a human being yeah and that was the moment I realised there's a higher purpose with the work I do now it's yeah. not there's also a need to regulate and manage my emotions as well mm-hmm. Because it's very easy to get emotional over, over that. Like, yeah. say you've got, in my case, one of the patients we work with, he's, I think he's like 12 at the moment. He was born deaf and he's gone blind. Mm. And it's very easy to sit with this kid and just completely break down. Mm. It's so easy to just look and think. This born, kid's born deaf. Going blind. And going blind. He's going to be blind by the time he turns. We've projected him to be legally blind by the time he's 18. Mm. And there's so many kids like that. Yeah, that's heavy. And so I think a lot of high school kids as well go into – there's an expectation for academic high achievers to go down either med, law, engineering. Mm. But no one really knows what that job is actually like until you go in and experience it for yourself. Yeah. And a lot of med school graduates also do find that emotional part to be so difficult that they can't, can't handle it, right? I know someone who graduated med school, started working as a doctor and thought, like, this is fucked, I can't do it. Yeah. And he went back to you and he did dentistry and now he's a dentist. <laughs> and it's Quite like, a pivot. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the worst field I can think of working in is in paediatric oncology, working with children's cancer. Yeah. Like, that would destroy me. Yeah. Like, that's – I'm very honest with my limitations. Like, that is one thing that I just know I can't yeah. – emotionally I can't handle. Yeah. It's that hard enough now as it is, like, dealing with kids going blind. Yeah. Um, but when you've got kids who are part dying yeah. at the age of, like, probably haven't even reached double figures sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, so going back to your brother, like, there's a need to actually go out and try engineering. He might love it. He might not. Mm. But at least he has a real-world understanding of what the job actually is like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, just um, unpacking all that uh, you said. I, I I go back to my friend whose brother, older brother, is a doctor as well and I'm just thinking about like what he has to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. And one question I always, I just really want to ask him, uh, uh, hopefully we can get him on yeah. the pod, is, yeah, he, doctors are almost taken as, um, they're taken for granted for sure. Yeah. They always wonder, do doctors need doctors? Like they, oh, they yeah. need I think a, a lot of doctors need therapists. Yeah. For sure, 100%. They definitely need therapists, especially like, say you're dealing with death on a daily basis. Like, unless you're kind of 
somewhere on the spectrum where you don't feel emotions mm -hmm. as strongly, like there's no doubt that you're going to be affected by the work you do. Mm. There's a book called When Breath Becomes Air um, where there's a neurosurgeon who's, who's dying from cancer as he writes the book. And he says the first experience as a doctor in a hospital, mm. he gave birth to stillborns. Mm. And it's just yeah. it's like how do you deal with that? Mm. Like, mm. It's what, what do you do? For you, for you personally, when you are feeling that way, is, what's, is there something you do? I mean, I'm lucky at the moment where I don't really have too much patient interaction. Yeah. Um, having said that, when it comes to things not going well with work, because research is one of these things where in every other aspect of your life, whether that be like gym or studying for exams, normally if you put X amount of effort in, you get X amount back mm. in results. In research, it's never the case. So in my PhD, I actually went the first two to two and a half years of, with getting like absolutely zero results to show for the work I'd done. Mm -hmm. I worked seven days a week, probably about 10 to 12 hours a day and got nothing to show for it. Yeah, right. And That's the it grind, is, is it? emotionally, it's just so exhausting sometimes. Mm. And there's a, it's sad that we say this amongst PhD students that you're not doing a PhD if you don't have one mental breakdown a year. And then the joke is, what, you only have one? Right. So um, okay. it is extremely difficult. There have been numerous occasions where I've gone home and I just cried because it's really? just like you can't, it's, it's so hard to explain, but it's when you put so much effort into your work and you care so deeply about it and it's giving you nothing back, mm. it just, it kills you inside. Yeah. And in that case, for me, a big thing is um, staying consistent. Mm. knowing that having a blind level of faith in this process I'm going through and also understanding that not every day is a good day. Mm. So there are like, by all means, like, I'm not a high motivated, highly motivated person, right? There's a misconception that people who are highly successful, not successful, I think success is a very loosely defined term. Yeah, so agree. subjectively defined as well. I agree. But people who kind of, chase the high eminences of thought are highly motivated people. That couldn't mm. be further from the truth. Mm. Because um, how many times a year do you wake up feeling 100% recharged and fresh mm. and motivated? Very rarely. Right. I can't remember the last time I felt like that. Yeah. But we put so much emphasis on them. We're like, we'll, oh, I'll wait till I feel good. Wait till yeah. I'm motivated. Well, wait till I'm motivated. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's never like that. And you, it's so, that concept is so translatable across so many different life areas. Like we take athletes, for example. Um, the most obvious being LeBron, mm. right? His worst scoring season, I think, was like 20.6 games, mm. uh, points per game, like rookie year. That was his worst. Yeah. His absolute worst season, he outscored like the majority of the league. Yeah, that's right? true. And so we don't judge athletes based on the peak of their careers, right? Because if we did, Jeremy Lin would be the greatest basketball player <laughs> of all time. And he's not. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the, what makes the difference is what you do on a bad day. When you're absolutely at your worst, how productive can you be? Yeah. Because that's the majority of the time, like mm. it or not. Like most of the time you wake up feeling like 40%, like I 100% wake up most days thinking like, oh man. Like, yeah. Day, like, or you, you, maybe you think, uh, I think a lot of people get caught up in the, um, the grass is greener. Yeah. And that puts them below that 50% yeah. sort of mark. Yeah. It's that wishing something was better yeah. but realising what you have around you yeah. and where you're actually going yeah. is probably 
it probably puts you in a better yeah, mindset. Because for me, when things were going wrong, it's like it was so easy for me to just be like, "Fuck, I'll just take a break." Yeah. But it's just it's a matter of consistency. Like going to the gym once a month for a five five hour workout, it's mm. not going to do you any good, no. right? But going to the gym every single day, forty five minutes a day, guarantees you some level of progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so the lesson is. It's no longer a matter of individual moments or intensity of them, but rather a, a problem of consistency. Mm. What are you doing every single day, regardless of how you feel? Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of PhD students do as well, because PhD students for me are some of the hardest working people I've ever met. With the amount of effort and emotional damage that goes through it. Would you say they're motivated? No. I think motivation is so fickle. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just, not motivated. They're passionate about their working yeah, area. Yeah. So for me, I'm not motivated. Right. I don't feel motivated all the time. Mm. Um, matter of fact, I don't think I'm ever thinking like, oh, yeah, let's, let's go do this. It's, it's consistency. It's as long as I do this every single day, yeah. do, it doesn't have to be a lot. doesn't have to be your best. If you wake up feeling 40%, be ready to give 100% of that 40%. Yeah. Right? And it, for me, it's as long as I just give consistently bit by bit every single day, this progress, will, it'll all come together. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's like what we were talking about before that yeah. you may flatline for ages yeah. for that 10-year yeah. period and then the 11th yeah. year is that's when you actually yeah. explode. Yeah. You hear it? Yeah, I hear it so much, that 1%, the compounding effect yeah, of everything. Yeah, 1% every day kind of thing. Yeah. You hear that a lot. I feel like that gets thrown about quite a lot on like pl- – podcasts and all that well i want to add to that i feel like momentum is actually more critical than say one percent each day yeah because if you can build up or at least start at one percent and then build on top of that yeah that spiraling momentum upwards is actually where motivation comes from yeah because the i think results drive motivation See, I'm very against the whole result-based mindset right. because I think you lose direction. Mm. You lose focus of what's really important. Yeah. And for me, I do what I do because I love my work, not to publish. Yeah, papers, got you. Not to, right. But um, I think – what were you saying again? Like, just, just the momentum. Oh, compounding effect, like momentum. Yeah, right? I yeah. feel like momentum spiraling yeah. up is just as well that's the comes back to consistency yeah, i think when you can't stay motivated stay consistent yeah consistency breeds motivation mm. um for me there were a lot of times where i was just like absolutely exhausted mm. like just had felt like i had nothing left in me but early doors i realized that if i did take a day off i just spiraled straight down right I just got it just got so much worse it was like all the built-up tension in my body you know when it just like releases itself yeah and you just feel like shit for like two three days i just realized that when i do feel bad it's okay to take a break but understand that like sometimes if you just push a bit further mm. you reach a like a, a zone that you didn't know existed. yeah that's so, so playing competitive sport when you're it's tired 100 and like you're like oh man like i'm tired but you just push a little bit further and you just something clicks. You hit a new gear. Yeah. You, you hit a You get new into the zone where you start doing like crazy shit. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like everything's off instinct and like, yeah. So for me, it's sometimes it's worth just put, giving a, a little extra push. Yeah. If you push and you don't get anything out, then that's when you need to take a break. Definitely. You do need to listen to your body. But 
understand that there is a, a point where if you stop, then you might break the momentum that you're you're going through. Yeah, definitely. Momentum and consistency, yeah. I think, are key. So I want to go back to your research work, blindness in particular. Um, where are you at now with that sort of research? Yeah. And is there any light to share? Yeah, so earlier I said I had that big eureka moment where I was the only person, found out I was the only person that knew this piece of information. Mm. I figured out how a certain genetic mutation manifests into the disease. Um, I think the gene was discovered like 50 years ago or something like that. Right. And I was the first person to figure out how yeah. it causes um, the disease phenotype. And so I did that and I started testing some drugs on it. It didn't work as well as I thought it would. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't really expect much out of it, but it was less than even what I'd expected. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm fiddling around looking at different types of drugs and therapies that might be better. I'm mm. um, doing that. A lot of it is just a lot of the problem is like a lot of diseases go undiagnosed we just don't know what the gene is sometimes like we don't even have a name for some genes that cause diseases and figuring out what it does how it works my that's most of my work at the moment with drugs that's developing therapies that's a whole different ball game right that's just like a different league in its own okay and so you're in a stage where you're really trying to understand how this comes to be yeah Okay. So um, that's currently where I stand. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've just met with the team and discussed the direction moving forward for the rest of the year. Yep. Um, so there's a lot to be done. There's a lot going on this year as well, actually. Got a lot of travel to do mm. um, for work. Um, so the, one of the perks of working in research is you get to travel to international conferences and present your research to yeah. other people within the field. So... Um, in April, I get to go to New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, present my research there in America. Because um, of COVID, I, a lot of that was taken away from me. Yeah. Um, last one internationally I went to was 2019. I went to Seoul in Korea, um, presented there. Um, so I think getting back into the normal flow of things and well, being able to share my research. And a lot of these events, man, like as much as you like to travel, there's people around the world that just do similar work to you yeah. and you can pick their brains and figure out like discuss things and it's such a good networking and kind of progressive place to be yeah and so there's I've already got a few names that I'm looking to catch up with um, I'll probably email them before I go there's a guy in Oxford who's studying the same gene that I'm studying and as far as I'm concerned we're the only two people in the world studying it yeah right um, if that um so go and go and network with those people. Well, only further your work, right? Yeah, exactly. Just putting like more brains share, together. I share what I'm doing. He shares what I'm what he's doing. Yeah. Um, there is like horror stories of people sharing too much, and then people, others stealing their work. Yeah. And like replicating it and publishing it first. Okay. Um, but I, I know like this guy's um, so highly reputable. Like, is that just a part of the game in research stuff? Is that you get dickheads everywhere, man. Yeah, okay. like you get you get some snakes in the grass. Like, mm. um, you do have to be careful. We do say like when you go to present your work, you don't present anything that's not been published, or mm. if it's or ready to publish yep. at least. Because yep. um, there's a big kind of thing where you do want to be the first to 
to get it out there. Yeah. Um, it's your it's your name and mm. it's your reputation as a scientist that's mm. that's at stake as well. So um, there have been cases of people stealing ideas. Yeah, but, I could imagine. Because um, yeah. few and far in between, like that's like the occasional horror story that you hear. Yeah, yeah but yeah. most people most people are good people, man. Mm. Right? Um, you can't let a few bad examples ruin it for everyone else. Yeah, that's right. right. So what about? Um, I actually wanted to ask you about the eye. Is there anything you can share? Any any uh, you know things that we don't know about eye? Any uh, I guess something quirky, quirky piece. Yeah. Of have you have through this studying of the eye and is there anything you can share with us about you know some crazy facts the eye Not has? Really? Nah. I can't think it's of. Should we see upside down or something? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's flipped. Yeah. So it the light reaches the retina and then it. Reaches goes to the brain and it flips it. Flips the image. Wait, say that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even, even understand. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So it, it flips the image. So your brain um, flips your the image. Your brain flips the image. Okay. Yeah. So um. Interesting. It's that. There's not. Not many. Like the brain. The eye is an extension of the brain. Yeah. It's part of the brain, so it's not really like a quirky fact, but. Um, but anything interesting that. They, it, well, something maybe you found interesting about the eye that you hadn't known before. I threw you off here with this yeah. question. Maybe you should have. Should have texted it to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nothing on the top of your head? You could go uh, to the lab. Just yeah, 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 I'm just going to have to do a quick Wikipedia search. <laughs> <laughs> fun facts about the eye. Get onto chat GBT. Yeah. WebMDs. Like. Yeah. <laughs> No, good. We no, nothing else top of my head. I'm message sorry, me man. or something. No. You can let me know. I'm just genuinely interested. Because yeah. these things are like, you know, you don't, we don't really know much about us, no, our, our brain, our body, science, our biology. Science in general, man. Like there's, there's more unknown than known. That's and true. everything we do know, it's like, it can be disproven any moment. True. It's a, a lot of the time it's just um, speculations. Mm. That we think this is what happens. Like it's even like things, um, going to addiction mm. like the neuroscience of addiction we think that dopamine is the compound that creates the, the good feeling mm. but it's not so dopamine is actually involved in the drive to want something okay so um, serotonin is the, the good feeling but is it? yeah so dopamine is actually the wanting okay so which is why so the the feel good is um, through the ventral pallidum the opioid receptors there and serotonin that's what drives that that good feeling of you know when you smoke a joint you yeah. I don't know you get have a nicotine buzz and, and all that but the dopamine isn't responsible for wanting it's okay. the, the drive to, to get it and so with addiction you see a desensitization to the feel good but a sensitization to the wanting okay so that's that's what drives Addiction. The addiction. So you, you enjoy things less, but you want it more. Okay. I could kind of make sense yeah. of that just in my own personal life, say at the gym or something. Yeah. So I, you're saying dopamine. So if I go to work out, for example, yeah. that dopamine is released because I'm wanting to. You want to go and get a pump or you want to be in the gym in that environment. But the addiction part comes with. The wanting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's gotcha. dopamine that drives the addiction. Okay. Whereas, so like, if, so like we've all been 
where, say, nicotine, you smoke or you vape, which is quite common these days, mm. um, that nicotine buzz gradually dies off. You get desensitized to it, mm-hmm. but you want it more. Right. It's like you can't, people are so addicted to the, the action of smoking, not so much the actual, the feel good part of the nicotine buzz. Right. It's the action that they're addicted to. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting stuff, man. Yeah. Um, another area I wanted to touch on through, through your journey and, and you briefly mentioned it before we started yeah. recording is your background. Yeah. Um, were you born here? No, I was born in Korea, in South Korea for those wondering. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, wouldn't be possible if I was born in the <laughs> yeah. But um, moved here when I was four Okay. Uh, to Perth and I've just been here ever since. Yeah. And an, a topic that I think is important to touch on and we'll briefly talking yeah. about this before is just uh, some of the stereotypes you have to deal with in everyday life. Like, is yeah. that something that impacts you? Is it, it did is it? when I was younger, mm. but I think the stereotypes done a complete 180 in the past yeah? 10 to 15 years. Like the stereotypes when we were growing up as kids, whereas the stereotype now is completely different. Mm. Um, back then it was the Asian stereotype was passive, unathletic, nerd, in the case of women, over-sexualized. Mm. Um, a lot of those still stand true, still exist today, but it's progressed so much, right? So when I was a kid, um, like being a kid, like being cool is important. Mm. Like having friends and being accepted is, is a really important part of being a kid. And when that's what society says you are, it kind of develops a sense of shame and self-hate throughout our community. Mm. And it went back to things like, like getting bullied for having Asian food at lunch. Like I used to get bullied for having sushi for lunch. Mm. Like, mm. like, oh, what's that green thing on your, on the rice? Like, oh, it's seaweed. It's like, oh, yuck, that's disgusting. Yeah. And you go home to mum and like, oh, I don't want like fried rice for lunch anymore. I want, just give me a ham and cheese sandwich. Yeah. Right? And... So I used to think that was just my personal experience, but it yeah. turns out like pretty much every Asian kid growing up around the same time I did had had similar experiences. But even other ethnic groups. Yeah, it's so not like, just Asians. Uh, yeah. Do you know Muz? Yeah, he had a similar experience yeah. where he had he brought his um, his uh, country's traditional. Yeah. I think I met him at food one once. of Dubs things. Oh, okay, yeah, I think I think I did. Yeah, and he had a similar thing where he was teased for the yeah. food that he brought. Yeah, that he eats every day. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and now he goes back to his mom, comes home, and he's like, "Ah, oh, don't yeah. make that for me anymore." And <laughs> as much as there's a whole generation of people our age who had that j- trauma from that experience, there's a whole parents mm. who are equally traumatized because their kids come home crying, saying like, "Oh, I don't want to eat our food anymore." Like yeah. our cultures, I'm getting bullied for being who I am. Yeah, right? it's crazy. And so it has changed a lot. One of the pioneering moments was Lynn Sanity. Yeah. Because for the first time, I was able to turn on a TV screen and see someone that looked like me doing something cool and getting recognised for it. And it broke the whole unathletic stereotype. Like, mm. as much as he wasn't physically gifted, he was doing absolute madness. Like, game mm. winner against Toronto. Yeah. Can't remember how many points he put up against the Lakers. Yeah. But, um, Killing so the game. He was, yeah, he just completely changed the game, tipped mm. it on its head. And I don't think a lot of people realize how important that was for us and how much strength it gave us. And f- compounding from that, we now have like Asian Marvel superheroes. Mm. We have K pop going crazy. Crazy. Yeah. 
Right. Even Netflix shows. Yeah, like K-dramas and stuff. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, if you were listening to K-pop at school, you would dead-ass get bullied for that shit. Yeah. Like, guarantee yeah. it, you would get bullied. Yeah. But now it's like, everyone listens to it. Like, mm. I was in, like, I'd go into shops and I'd be just, like, looking at stuff and then all of a sudden I'd hear, like, Korean words coming out of the mm. speakers. I'm like, damn, like, they're playing K-pop in shopping centres now? Like, My sister is in love with anime. Oh, really? Yeah, anime is another. I know another thing, yeah. but still, you know, anime it, as well. Like I'm like, back in school, if you watched anime, you'd be a weeb. Yeah, like, you yeah. get you get teased for that shit. But now it's, um, that's the norm. It's become cool. Like our culture's become cool. And yeah, that's, it has. It's so it crazy for me to, to look at, and it's very warming. And um, I think a lot of it is because, at a certain point, we just thought, "Fuck it, we're just going to show you how cool." Like how dope our culture actually just is. Just going to own it. Yeah, we're not going to compromise our culture anymore. Like, mm. we're sick of it. Like, mm. And see, like, Asian restaurants everywhere. Like, people love Asian food. Yeah. It's just the stark contrast to being bullied for having sushi and now people are dying for that <laughs> yeah. shit, right? Like, Korean barbecue restaurants. Yeah. Popping. Yeah. Going crazy. And it's like, um, yeah, that's, I think Koreans have done that quite well. Yeah. Um, maybe a bit better than other Asian countries in globalizing yeah. our culture, um, probably because of the entertainment industry. It okay. is, Korea's well known for the entertainment and tech and um, we took advantage of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's warming to see. But having said all that, I think the pandemic was a big, was a um, big killer for me. In the if wrong it, direction. In the wrong direction. It showed as much as we had progressed so much, there was so much more work to be done, mm. right? Because it was another instance where I suddenly felt unwelcome in my own home. Like as much as I was born elsewhere, Perth is home for me. Like this is all I know. Yeah. And to be worried about mum going out and possibly being attacked or copying racial abuse in the street, myself, and it's happened. And so it just, it was a, I won't say disappointment because deep down I've kind of ex expected or knew that there was no way that racism was completely abolished. Yeah. The big sense of disappointment for me was the amount of Asian hate crimes being committed, not so much in, in Australia but in the States. Mm. And a lot of it was being committed by African Americans. That, really? That was so disappointing for me to see because literally I think like two or three months before that, George Floyd happened. Yeah. And the Black Lives Matter movements were going, going around. And when you, they needed help and support the most, the Asian community stood right by them in support of their freedom and justice. Yeah. But when the whole world turned their backs on us and we were ostracised, it was so disappointing to see another group of people of colour, of another ethnicity, who have just been fighting that same evil, mm. not only turn their backs but join. So... Right. Um, that was something that took me off guard a little bit. Yeah. Um, I had... Is it, was it just kind of America that where that kind of was, it was escalated? Yeah, America was quite bad. Um, I've not had violent crimes or heard of too many violent ones in Perth. Yeah. I had two personal experiences in that time. One, I was just at KFC, man. I just wanted some fried chicken. Like, yeah. And a group of guys came in and they're like, oh telling the staff, like, oh, this guy brought COVID into the restaurant, like, you got to, like, sanitise uh. everything. And the disappointing thing there was one of the guys was Indigenous. Uh. And I just thought, like, man, this is the same shit that you deal with day to day and, like, you still, but, like you're, yeah. you're doing the same shit, man. What are you doing? 
Yeah. It was that. And then there was a big incident. It wasn't really COVID related. But um, I was playing football for a club and we went away. I won't say the name of the clubs or where I was playing, but sure. the stadium I was playing at, the, the seats are very close to the touchline. And so everything that goes on in the, in the, in the seats, you hear when mm-hmm. you're playing. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy who started barking at me. Like making dog noises really? every time I got the ball, and it's like, as in like, you eat dog kind of shit. Yeah. And I confronted him, and he started like yelling things like, oh, to this day, it's the worst quality racial abuse I've ever copped. Right. Um, but it was like, oh, go roll sushi. And I was like, get yeah. fucked. <laughs> like, um, and shouting like, naming all these like Asian foods, and like, it was just ah, okay. stupid. But um, that happened, and my teammates were to the ref, like, look, you need to stop the game. Like, we're not playing. Really? They stopped the game? Yeah, my my teammate stopped the game and said, look, you need to kick that guy out or we're not going to keep, we're not going to play. Yeah. And the ref said, oh, I didn't hear anything. So he denied denied it happening. And then... Was it, is the ref just... The ref knew. Yeah, There was no way you didn't. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss it. Yeah. There was no way. And then the disappointing thing was what a few players on the other team were... um, Middle Eastern, and they were like to me, bro, just get over it. It's no big deal. Mm. And I was just like, mate, like, if anything, like, you should be the one supporting me through this. True, true. And, yeah, so that escalated, ended up, for some, for another reason, the fans stormed the, the ground and fist fights broke out. Really? And I just got <laughs> chased by some, like, old dudes thing, like, oh, who's there's that crybaby, like, going on about nothing. And I'm just like, bro, I've just been racially abused. Yeah. Regardless of what was said, like, I was racially abused in this moment, and it's... Like you have no idea how it feels to be, yeah. to, to be treated that way, and so we, the, my club ended up filing a complaint to Football West, and the other club actually denied it happening. Really, like, we don't know what happened. Like nothing happened, and so that whole experience got brushed under the carpet, which mm. was a little bit disappointing. But but not, those two experiences kind of uh, burned deep in your memory yeah, about yeah because it yeah. wasn't. It's one thing to be racially abused by white people and then to be to cop it from another person of a different ethnicity it's like it's it's there's something different about it man yeah it's, like, it's I, almost I a know sense of betrayal yeah like, we're in this together like you it's know like exactly. you should know what i'm going yeah, through with it yeah like have just to have my back here yeah like, you like, should know if anything you should be what this feels me, like right yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like yeah so i don't know what it is in the sense that what we have to do to make that next step because mm. Frankly, I don't think kind of like that, that in-your-face racism really exists anymore. Yeah. It's very rare now. Like if you go to work, nine times out of ten, everyone around is no longer racist. Mm. Or if mm. they are, they don't talk about it. Right? So it's so much so that people who exhibit racist behavior are now ostracized by society. Mm. Like we, we look down on people who are racist now. Mm. But what's next? Like why are... It, all these incidents still happening. Mm. And I don't know what we have to do as people to take that next step and mm. progress this even further. Because mm. frankly, I feel like we've done a fair bit. And I think that's another debate to be had, like whether people in the comments section talk about what they feel is right. Yeah. But it's like all these marches and protests, like are we just preaching a message to the people that already believe what, we, what we're preaching? Yeah. Are we just preaching to the choir? Like, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, this racism thing is a... Yeah, it's, 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 it's we're, we're in an interesting space right now. I feel like the racism card gets thrown out yeah. very easily, but it still exists. Yeah. 
And yeah, I don't know the answer to that, bro. Like, um, we definitely have come a long way. Yeah, yeah. But I think those subtle. It's just so undercurrent and casual. And, yeah. Well, uh, like when Adam and Brano were talking about like trying to get a venue and they're like, oh, what's the demographic of your. Yes, thing? yeah, it's yeah. Like, like, why is that? You know, why does that matter? Exactly. Right. It's, it's like a, uh, yeah, I, I'm, lately I've been struggling with this racist term, like, because if there's something that repeatedly happens to you by a certain thing, like if, a do- like an example is yeah. a certain dog bites you. Yeah. Then you have an imprint of that dog biting you. Yeah. In your memory. Yeah. And now that is like a traumatic event. So next time you see a dog of that kind, you may feel a certain way. Yeah. Is that racist? I think, unfortunately, with ethnic groups, one person can ruin it for everyone. Mm, mm. And so there is a need to be very careful about the way we hold ourselves in public Mm, as well. mm. As much as like, you might, people might disagree with like, oh, like that's bullshit. Um, fact of the matter is if I go out and act the fool then it sets a precedent for the rest of the Asian community not just Koreans because people look at me and they're not saying oh look at that Korean Korean, yeah. they're looking at he's Asian right yeah yeah and so if I'm acting up outside and I don't know do some fucked up shit Mm. then that ends up being the stereotype printed onto every Asian yeah and so it's like in the event industry if like one guy, there was one incident and he mm-hmm. was African. Then that yep. guy's thinking. Well, all, even in Perth, yeah. uh, in recent news, the red shoes got banned. Yeah. The one yeah. nightclub was banned, shoes, the yeah. red shoes. Yeah. You can't wear red shoes because apparently people that wear yeah. red shoes yeah. cause problems. Cause problems. Yeah. So, I mean, talk about a stereotype. Yeah. But, uh, um, I know that's not race, but. Yeah, I mean, same concept. Yeah, we yeah. tend to group people together based yeah. on certain yeah. attributes. Yeah, it's not the action. No, it's not the action of what happened. It's the per- it's the race now, or yeah. like the, the group. Yeah. So, I think there was a news article loosely defined news, yeah. but um, it was a packed shopping center car park, and an Asian woman had like was standing in front in a, an empty parking spot, saving it for her husband or something, and that made the news for whatever reason mm. and the comments just like it was just slammed Asians it was yeah. just like it wasn't the action like the action was wrong but there's no need to tie that Go up at it in a yeah, tied race you. and ethnicity onto it but right. fact of the matter is like a person was just person was just rude right mm. but if a white person did it there'd be no problem yeah like it wouldn't be tied down to white people yeah it'd yeah. just be like he's a dickhead yeah it wouldn't be this Caucasian male was doing this and like all these Caucasians there, they're shit and whatnot. It's yeah, just, yeah. Right? But, and so we do have to move quite carefully. Yeah. Um, I actually maybe, think the answer could be, um, like I'm quite grateful that I'm in Australia. Yeah. Because we get to socialise with yeah. so many different yeah. ethnic groups. And I know you have yeah. a vast array of people that you can talk to with yeah. different backgrounds. And then through talking to those people, you actually find and uncover common ground yeah. in little things yeah. that you do in each day. Yeah. So like um, one example is a lot of my mates are Ethiopian or yeah. Eritrean and they eat a certain food called injera. Yeah. And I've 
when I had it for the first time, I was like, this is like dosa because yeah. I got an Indian heritage. Yeah. Dosa, it was like, I was like, uh, very similar foods. Yeah. Um, it's like they do a lot of curry based stuff. Yeah. I'm like, two completely different ethnic yeah. groups probably have two very different ways of life and yeah. ways of living, yeah. but a lot of actual common ground. Yeah. And I think the more we talk, to different racial groups, yeah. you find common ground. It's like, yeah. oh, you guys do that. Yeah. Like Italians and, yeah. and Africans have yeah. certain similarities. Yeah, for sure. And even Asians, like yeah. we do certain things that are similar to Asians and, or other parts yeah. of the world. So I, I do feel like it's we might have gotten to a point where we need to start making changes ourselves. Right. And like kind of build it, like you said, like build that kind of community uh, together amongst mm. different cultures and realise mm. that we are not so different after all. No. And um for sure. Maybe that's that's the way to go. Who yeah. knows? Hundred percent. Yeah. Man, uh I think yeah, just thinking about everything we've talked about, um, we like to end on going back to the title of the, yeah. the podcast, the moral of your yeah. story. But we like to say it in a way through everything you've learned and everything we've talked about here today, how has your perspective changed? I think when I was younger, I definitely had that result-based mindset mm -hmm. of like I have set goals and I need to reach them. Um, I've changed that now to kind of just enjoying the progress, the process that I'm on. Yeah. And as long as I stay true to myself and stick to my craft mm. and stay a loyal servant to what I'm doing, those results will come eventually, right? There's no need to chase that. It's, they're naturally going to come as long as you stay consistent and, and grounded. Yep. Um, that's definitely changed. I think another is realising that people who are, that you kind of like idolise and like look up to, they're not so different. Mm. They're just people, man. Like, um, there's not many people that I've looked at and thought, I can never get to what they're doing. Yeah. Right? For the most part, the majority of people, even when they're doing better than me, I can pinpoint and say, if I work on these specific attributes and improve myself this way over the next couple of years, I can do what that, that guy's doing. Mm. There's only been one person in my life in terms of like the medical field that I've looked at and thought, there's no way I can... I can reach that level. Yeah. Um, she's a doctor in Sydney going through the ophthalmology training program to be an ophthalmologist. With her, she's just got, not only does she have all the, the attributes required to be a great doctor and a great person, but she has them at such a high quality. Mm -hmm. um, but again, she's just, she's human, like just, just like me. And yeah. um, how, as long as you stick to yourself and just, stick to it and identify be very honest with yourself because mm. that's something we fail to do as well sometimes we let our ego get in the way and we just you know feel like oh like I don't want to mm. do this I don't want to be critical about myself but it's hard to look at the mirror sometimes it is like especially when you're at war with a man in the mirror mm. and you have to go chin up chest down on yeah. your ten toes um, it is quite daunting but you do have to humble yourself sometimes and just say like be honest with yourself. Like, yeah. this is something that I'm able to compete with. This is what I'm not. Yeah. Um, be realistic and kind of have a clear image, right? But don't think that's your be all end all. Right. Because like with me, I've had so many changes in my life where I thought, oh, 
could go this way, could, could go, go that way. Could go this way, could go that way. This is, this is the only thing I want, but like life directs you in a different path and you mm. have to understand that sometimes it's, it's for the better, yeah. right? And if you have a decision to make, like just jump, mm. like just make the jump because that is more often than not the worst part. Mm. It's the scariest part is just making that decision. Definitely. Yeah. That leap of faith. I hear it a lot. Yeah. Everything you talked about, we, you know, we, uh, the, what I resonate with the most is that consistency part of yeah. what you do. And I always go back to that, you know, those, those bookmarks in your yeah. life where it may seem like you're just yeah. plateauing and then you're just going to hit a yeah. moment where it yeah. just goes. It may not be a moment no, actually. It's not. It, could, it's it not. could be a gradual just improvement. There's just these pockets of time that yeah. just make you realise this is all worth it. Yeah. Right? My boss actually shared like this really cool visual with me the other day. It has um, different ways you learn. It's like a circle with water filled yeah. up and it goes, there's, there's four different um, rows yeah. and four different ways you yeah. can learn. Some is just like you see it fill up yeah. gradually. Yeah. Some you see it fill right up straight yeah. away and then drop down and yeah. then fill back up. And so it just highlights how everyone has it differently in a way yeah. where you can from from y, x to y yeah as long as you set those two points yeah. how you get there is going to be different yeah. for each yeah. person it could be like, a straight line yeah. it could be up and down it could and be sideways even like what you're aiming for i think we live in a culture now where you've got this very toxic hustle culture mm. and I think not so much our generation, but the younger one especially, they almost look down on the traditional nine-to-five job. It's, yeah. it's something to be ashamed of now for some reason. And the fact of the matter is not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Not everyone has that acumen or not, not everyone wants to do that. Yeah. And so if, say, you just want from your life a comfortable nine-to-five, a good work-life balance and a healthy family life, and you get that from working a nine-to-five, then as far as I'm concerned, that's as successful as someone as with a PhD or with a, as, or a doctor or a lawyer. Or like five different businesses. Yeah, that's just yeah, it's as just, successful. Yeah, because yeah, 100%. Like I said, success is so subjectively defined. Mm. And there's no shame in what you want from mm. your life. It's like mm. everyone wants, has different wants and needs. Yeah. And I think for the younger audience who are going through school or going through the first steps through uni, I think you need to understand that going back to good students don't make good professionals. Yeah. Right. You just build an all-rounded character. There's so much more to work than just being able to recite <laughs> facts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's pointless. Say you've got a patient in front of you and you need to diagnose them. Like it's all good, like listing off, rattling off all the different kind of symptoms and all. Yeah. But if you can't connect with them on a human level, then like... They might feel, yeah, they can yeah, feel... Yeah, it's just, they feel unwelcome and uncomfortable. You mm. don't want that in a hospital. No. So. Saying, man, I really enjoyed this yeah. chat. Um, we actually have, you know, this is my first, first time meeting you. Yeah. And we have a lot in common, different backgrounds. I think this just really highlights. And this is why I love doing, yeah. doing this sort of stuff is because I get to talk to people like you and you do such interesting yeah. work. You know, everything with the... With blindness, yeah. um, I definitely want to check in with that sort of stuff, yeah. see where you progress to and see how this develops. And yeah, everything, man. I, I really appreciate your time. Cool. Thank is you. There, is there any 
last sort of message you want to no, give? Or? Just probably give you your flowers and say I love the work you're doing. Appreciate um, it, man. Always was looking forward to the next episode. Like I was yeah. wondering, like when's the next episode? Yeah, like, man. Oh, shit, like we've been I was like, yeah, no, I was the point. I was like, oh shit, I'm the next episode. Like, yeah. it's me. Like, <laughs> and we yeah. finally, we, we finally got yeah, to do it, it right? Us, I know it ages, but yeah. we, we got here, and um, I apologize um, for that, and I apologize good. for people for leaving him on, on the edge of their seats with the yeah. next episode. <laughs> if you are, but, yeah, but um, no, no, we're just trying yeah. to um. We're just trying to learn from other stories. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. got a story and we're just trying to learn from yeah, other people, I think. Something to learn from, from everyone, regardless exactly. of who it is. Yeah, right? I agree. So, Sweet, man. Thank you. That's my other story. Appreciate you, bro. Cut. That's that action.